Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Hello, everybody. We're being a bit different this week, aren't we, Liz? Yeah, it's not my fault. We've got a bit of a change. No. (laughs) No. Well, it may sound a bit weird this week because I'm at home in my house and Liz is at home in her house and poor Rosie, her wonderful producer, is going to have to splice us together to make us sound like we're together. But um, unfortunately, Martin's uh, got COVID and I'm testing negative, but uh, we're just playing it on the safe side because we don't want to infect Liz as well. And uh, we're we're doing it separately. But the fact that Martin's got COVID, which has meant that you haven't been able to turn up today... It pretty much fits in with the theme of the podcast, Nick, which is, do you know what the theme is? Go on. What's the theme? Everything is a man's fault. Oh, well, we know know that. It's all the fault of men. So it's all their fault. It's not our fault. It's their fault. Yeah, no, I I can work with that. I can work with that. So how's your week been? Well, today, so we're recording this on Thursday. I had two really big pieces of bad news. I heard that I hadn't been approved for a mortgage and then I heard that I hadn't got a job that I went for. And to be honest, I've been crying all day and I'm just wondering how to cope with it. How do you cope with knockback after knockback after knockback? I get up early every day and I go and look after the horses because you're ill. I put my life on the line with my job. I expose everything. And I had a big argument on Twitter, although she completely ignored me today with Katla Moran. She posted that she got a new bank card and she'd managed to get a new bank card without losing a previous bank card. She's got a new bank card. And so she had this thing on Twitter saying, how many of you have got all the way without having lost your bank card? And can anyone beat this? So I sent a photo of my... Barclays current account saying can anyone beat this and I've got four pounds and eight pence can anyone beat this so obviously all the sort of middle class chattering classes ignored me but all these people all over the country have been saying yeah I'm minus 72 pounds I'm minus 148 pounds yeah you know I'm on the front page of the Daily Mail today and we're going to talk about it in a minute with the story of my eyebrow transplant would anyone imagine that someone's on the front page of the Daily Mail doing a story and they've got four pounds and eight pence. So I've just posted that on Twitter. Live in the real world, everyone. Live in the real world of what we're all struggling with. And I think that's the point, isn't it? We've talked about this before, where people have the idea that if you're in the media or you're in a band or, or whatever you do, if you're if you're a public figure, that you must be rich, you know, that you must be able to afford everything. But the reality is that's why people end up on things like Big Brother, isn't it? And that those sort of reality shows, because they need but the money. They're so absorbed in their own privileged lives 
you know, I had these two pieces of shattering news today. And I, I'm kind of wondering, everyone, how many more times am I supposed to pick myself up and carry on? You know, I, I just don't know how many times I, I can think do the it. trouble is, is there is an alternative. And I was talking to you earlier on the phone, wasn't I, Net? And I had to put the phone down because I couldn't stop crying. No. No, and the trouble is, there's always something, isn't it? There's a straw that creates the camel's back. You cope with one thing, then you cope with the next thing, then you cope with the next thing, and then there is something that, that ultimately is what breaks you, and it's just too much. We think we're in a meritocracy, but we're not. Because I have always got up on time. I'm never late. I've never, you know, I don't miss planes. I get up at three in the morning. I, I bet I put my hand in my guts and I rip my guts out and I show them to everyone and I agonise over every sentence and I put myself out there and I got four pounds and eight pence. Yeah. No, it's awful. And, you know, that brings me, you know, talking about me on the cover of the front page of the Daily Mail today and I'm writing about an eyebrow transplant and this was a very invasive procedure and I know that young women all over the country are obsessed with their eyebrows. It's like a new thing. I heard of a young woman who spends two hours making up her eyebrows before she goes out. It's a very, very big thing. It's a very big thing in Newcastle. It's a very big thing among working class women that they think they've got to spend money on their eyebrows and they've got to do something about their eyebrows. So I did a story about an eyebrow transplant to tell you what it's really like how painful it is, how long it takes, you know, it was like being waterboarded. I had all these injections in my forehead. I had 885 incisions in each eyebrow. So I am doing this to tell people what this operation is like and is it worth it and does it work? Because that's my job. And all day I have been bombarded with tweets saying, oh, we thought you were hard up. How did you spend £6,000 on an eyebrow transplant? You're like the HMRC. Do you not understand people out there criticising me? If the Times sends Anna Murphy to write about the Paris collections, or if the Times sends a journalist to Ukraine to write about the war, the journalist doesn't pay the plane and the hotel and all the costs of being out there. Because other because it's like if you work in boots, do you pay for the aspirin that you sell? No, you don't. You turn up at boots and you sell some aspirin to someone. Why does no one understand that it's a job and that I don't pay for the eyebrow to be done? I'm doing it to tell young women out there, this is what you go through. This is the result. Because otherwise they don't know. Is it, such, is it such a hard concept to understand that if you're reporting on something, the person doing it, if they had to pay to stay in Paris at a hotel to report on the fashion shows, they wouldn't have any money, no, would they? No. I think, I think our listeners understand, you know, because obviously we, I think we've talked about this before, but I think people just sort of read something and make assumption and, and type away. And unfortunately... Once one person says it, everybody gets on the bandwagon and it just becomes this rolling thing about the same subject. When If you think about it logically, no, of course you don't pay for it. Of course you don't. 
But why don't they think... But even intelligent people who worked for HMRC may be bankrupt because they said, well, you went to Paris and you went to, to report on the trial of John Galliano, therefore you could afford to go on the train, you could afford to play for the hotel, you could afford to be there for a week. Even people at HMRC didn't understand no. that it was my job. No. But I'm sure if they go to, to a conference and they have to stay overnight in a hotel, I'm sure that they claim it on expenses. It's just normal practice, isn't it? Yeah, but if you've got a normal job, you turn up, are you expected to pay for your desk in the office or for the lighting or for your computer or for the conference room or the telephone? No, it's it's a job. And, you know, I'm, I'm just yeah, so upset that the one thing people said to me about the eyebrow transplant, not that no, it's very brave and it's very exposing. How did you afford to pay £6,000 for your eyebrow transplant? And that's, I think that sounds like it's been pretty much the straw on the camel's back for you today with everything else going on. Yeah, it has. And I, I kind of yeah. wonder... Yeah. How many more knockbacks I can take, to be honest? I can't take any more because I'm the most conscientious, punctual, helpful, generous person that I've ever come across. And I've still got four pounds and eight pence. And I think that's the thing with social media, isn't it? Because years ago, you would write an article, it would go out, it'd be published. And you wouldn't get that same level of feedback or the same level of interaction and, and, and the negativity. You wouldn't be exposed to that negativity in the same way. But it's like, I, I literally can't take any more on it. I cannot take any more. I mean, how I'm not made of steel, you know. No, no. I think you just have to, you know, write it, put it out there. That's, you know, to your piece, aren't you? You, you tell the truth about your piece and your experience. You put it out there and then, then you have to just sort of close off for it because you've got enough going on in your personal life. Yeah, but how many people go on Twitter and attack a fashion editor and say, well, how did you afford to go to Paris to write about McQueen? Or how did you afford to go to Ukraine to write about the war? Shouldn't you be yeah. at home? How did you afford the flight? They don't go no, out there and no, do that, no, do I've they? I've not seen it, but I'm sure other people do get attacked. But it's just, I think, when it when it's something else on top of the rest of the day you have i mean it's not nice is it not getting the job you want or not getting the mortgage or things like that it, it that's when it becomes all too much if they happened on different days or different weeks you're more able to cope aren't you but everything comes in this crescendo and i know you say ignore it but people like mortgage people and hmrc people i know they believe yeah. it no, and that's yeah. They say, oh, well, actually, I'm not going to give her the mortgage because she just sent £6,000. Yeah. And that eyebrows. is the direct experience that we've had, haven't we? We're dealing with, with the bankruptcy in HMRC. We have experienced people reading something, taking it as true. And it's weird, isn't it? The minute it goes in print or the minute someone says it, it becomes absolute. It becomes the truth. It's not the and truth. And you're, you're fighting against someone's preconceptions that they've presented as the truth. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, you know, I just can't, I just can't take it. But your 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 eyebrow procedure was quite difficult, wasn't it? As well, it wasn't easy. No, it wasn't easy. Who else would do it? No, it wasn't easy. I think that's the thing as well. It, not only did you not pay for it, but it it was it was a very difficult thing for you to go through, which yeah, is something you talk you talk about in this article, don't you? You see, this is why I'm award winning. I'm going to read it to you. Go on then. 
let's get a bit of award-winning action. I've hidden my light under a bushel for too long. And I think if any young women are listening to this and they're starting out in their careers, don't be afraid to say how good you are. Do not be afraid to say, actually, I'm good enough. You know, because you are. And I think too many of us are shy and retiring and we think, oh, we're going to be noticed, you know. You have to push yourself forward, I'm afraid. I think the sad thing is, is when we're starting out in our careers, aren't we? We, we are nervous. We, are, we do lack confidence. And then by the time we get to this age and we've, we've, we've got our confidence, it's not at the time when we needed it, when we were first starting out. So this week's column, the heading is in which my hopes get dashed again. Sunday afternoon. It's been a bit of a bad week. Yes, another one. Some worrying news, which I will tell you about when I'm allowed to. Either it will have passed or I'm tipped again into uncertainty. To cope with my life, I have two coping mechanisms. One is to search properties on the websites of the modern house, modern houses, and Inigo, old houses. And I imagine how happy I'd be if only I lived in one of them. We all know home ownership can be a lie. When I had my mini mansion in the Yorkshire Dales, I was frozen as I couldn't afford to heat it. It cost £800 a month just for flow gas. I would spend six hours weeding the drive. But I still believe if only I could have a lovely home with a courtyard garden, I will be happy. My second coping mechanism, apart from looking at modern houses and inigo houses, is to imagine what my life will be like if Nigel, the photographer who lives in Australia, comes to the UK now that he's divorced and his daughters have grown up. Oh, quality Nigel. Out of all the men who have ever crossed my path, he was the most perfect. Quality Nigel. We clicked. We chatted for hours when we were first met on assignment in Bali. He was manly, but he was also thoughtful. He would Google a vegan restaurant nearby, whereas he who has been blocked would, when I arrived after a 250-mile drive, present a store-bought ready meal. He who has been blocked once ordered an Indian takeaway. How could people not be bothered to cook something when someone's driven 250 miles? You know, especially me. And he placed a prawn on my plate. <gasps> I nearly gagged. I was beating him with it. Every time he did something bad or undermined me or said something to upset me, such as, pastry is so much better made with lard or... You didn't always look beautiful on Celebrity Big Brother. Ouch. You would smirk as if it was funny. Anyway, if Nige came to the UK, back to Fleet Street, which is why we got on so well, so we both worked on Fleet Street. We're like a different breed, you know, people who worked on Fleet Street. No one else understands us. We would get married. He would love my animals. He would love the Yorkshire Dales. He once told me he found Sydney too overlooked, too claustrophobic. I'm trapped, aren't I, he said, in the back of a 4 by 4 But I was too shy, too unsure, too plagued with doubt. Probably not extreme bikini-waxed enough to have flirted back. Against my better judgement, bored on a Sunday afternoon, and can I just point out here, Nicola, that being bored isn't the same as not being busy. 
I looked at his ex-wife's Twitter, Twitter feed. She'd written a piece about how she had never allowed her daughters to get a dog. And then she wrote, and this is when my heart sank, this summer something miraculous happened. Their dad, Nige, and his partner got a puppy. Even better, they were going away for 10 days and needed the girls to look after it. Okay, put aside for a moment, his ex-wife calls a dog it, and that Nige has a partner. Not only do they now have a puppy, but they're going away for 10 days on a mini break. Where are they going, I kept thinking. And what for? Why? What does she look like and how old is she? Not what you want to hear. I feel as though someone has punctured the rubber ring that I was clinging on to, trying to stay afloat. I know I said I love being single, but that was only until I got quality knowledge. All I have left are property websites. I've nothing else to keep me going. To think about at 3am when I'm gripped by fear, unable to sleep. I let him slip through my fingers. Or maybe that was a pipe dream as well. He was never remotely interested and never given me a second thought. I've been inhaling extraordinary escapes on Channel 4 with Sandy Totsvig. I love Sandy Totsvig. This is a programme about incredible homes in the UK let out by their owners. And I can't help thinking, how do people find the money to own and convert and furnish a home and then let them out? Where do they live? Where do they go? I've been at the top of my profession for 40 years and I own, and this is absolutely 100% true, two bath towels and two hand towels and both afraid. And four collies. And how did that woman snag Nigel? How? How do they do it? How do these people do it? I need a drink. So you can dissect and analyse that column, Nicola, while I have a drink. Well, that wasn't what you wanted to hear. I keep thinking about sliding doors, you know, how different it would have been if you'd you'd have ended up with him. But I always think things happen for a winter where a door closes, a window opens. I think there's somebody more suitable and better around the corner for you. Yeah, I mean, somebody's just started a podcast. What would my my best friend say? What would my best friend's advice be? I think the problem with girlfriends is they just say platitudes that they want you to hear. No, I believe oh, it. Oh, well, I believe he it. wasn't worth it. I think, you know, it's serendipity. Things are meant to happen for a reason. I think all that's bollocks. No, I, I think it can be pretty shit when it doesn't work out when you want. Of course it does. I've, I've had it loads of times. But you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's around the corner might be better. He might... More misery. Just think, though, Nigel might not have been, when you got to know him more, the person you've built up in your head. You know, you when you actually got into no. a relationship with him, he might no. have been different. I got, to, I got to know... No, you're wrong. I got to know him quite well, actually. And he was not only handsome, he was intelligent. He knew what it was like to work for Fleet Street. When the stories were thing, the stories were thing. You'd walk over your dead mother for a story. And no one else understands that unless you've worked in Fleet Street for 40 years. No one else understands that. So we understood each other. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I, I would have loved to have seen you end up with him because it was obviously something you really wanted. And 
the trouble is, is the more elusive it is the more you want it is the more you build it up i think we all do that we build something up and build something up but i think i, des- I so deserve mean. some i deserve someone like of course you, you deserve you know? someone nice everyone should be happy with someone of course no not everyone me You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. But we have got some good news, haven't we, Nick, about helping dogs and cats in the Ukraine? Yeah, we've got... Do you want to tell us about that? We have. We've got some fabulous news. We talked last week about how Iams had very, very kindly donated... Uh, food for the dogs um, for the Ukraine and that the charity dog bus transporting paws was going to take it over for us and so we've been working on that this week and we've got 57 pallets which equates to 19 tons of food going over to the Ukraine so can you spell out can you can you spell out the number of tons that we've managed to bully and charm I am into giving. Yeah. Can you spell it out? 19. 19 tonnes. One nine tons yeah. of dog and cat food. So I am absolutely thrilled about that because when I went to IAMS initially, I didn't have anything near that level of expectation and they have been incredibly generous. And we've actually had to have it delivered in two lots because it's too much food to deliver in one go. So we've had yeah. to have a two deliveries. It's literally just incredible. It's absolutely incredible and i've been looking at everything you know other people have been doing driving over with medical supplies uh, dogs on the streets a charity are, are going over to the ukraine with with their bus with medical supplies and treating dogs from vet free veterinary care and taking food and supplies so many are pulling together but i have to say i'm so grateful and proud of irons for giving such an immense amount of food and so thrilled because we was having trouble we we had the food secured but we was having trouble of how we would get it to the ukraine and dog bus was amazing you know they're going over they're taking the food they're bringing dogs out of the ukraine back to the border they're they're doing a fantastic job so just wow thank you everybody And I keep I keep emailing them to say take photos, take photos, and I I need a I need a person in the photo, I need a dog in the photo, make the dog look emaciated and needy. I need photos. <laughs> but when, that's the journalist in you. <laughs> but I mean, when you think about it, fifty-seven pallets of food. That that's just that's awesome. That's Incredible. awesome. My cat's just joined me on my lap now, so you may get purring. I will try and push her off so you don't get inundated with purring. But to put any tinkling, that's the cat. Well, this sort of, you know, talking about the refugees, it, it, it takes me to an archive piece that I wrote in 2011 for the Daily Mail. And the Daily Mail sent me to Kenya. And I remember landing at the airport in Kenya and I could see a giraffe in the distance. I thought, oh, my God. And then I got in a 4 by 4 Um with, it was an armoured 4 by 4 so I was quite pleased about that. I thought, I'd love being in an armoured vehicle. This is fantastic. And I went to Somalia and I reported from the biggest refugee camp in the world. And this is it. So I wrote, the most poignant sight in the vast sea of humanity that surrounds me, in among all the rags that flap in the sandstorm, 
against thighs that are mere bones is one little boy who's wearing a pair of pink flip-flops. These are girl shoes with little rosebuds and one remaining sequin dangling by a thread. They're far too small for him, so end halfway along the sole of his foot, making it painful to walk. But this little boy thinks he's the bee's knees. He's attempting to swagger on his tiny girly shoes, the sort of apparel that would make him the subject of ridicule anywhere else in the world. But here, in a place I would safely describe as hell on earth, he's king of his world. I've come to Jadab to see for myself the vast refugee camp on the border between Kenya and Somalia. It's become the magnet for victims fleeing the drought and famine in the Horn of Africa. Millions are facing starvation, and more than 29,000 children under five have died here in the past 90 days. God, that's awful. It's early morning, but already 40 degrees, and the wind makes it feel as though I'm inside a giant hairdryer. I'm surrounded by children. There are 300,000 of them here, none of whom has even the basic means to wash themselves, none of whom owns a pair of underpants. These children, when they have strength, use twigs to clean their teeth. One tiny filthy tot, like something out of a Dickens novel, is scraping at her teeth in front of me. I ask how old she is, thinking she's maybe four or five. She tells me she's 13. As she scrapes, making herself pretty for me and the photographer, she dislodges a tooth and she calmly takes it out of her mouth. This little girl is disintegrating before my eyes. She's at once impossibly young and improbably old. That's heartbreaking. Her very existence mocks the world that I've come from. Oh, I know what you've been thinking. What on earth is a woman like me? She spent a lifetime working in fashion and who's long written about her own battles with her weight, her image, her debts, her anorexia, doing in a place like this, where the cost of my recent facelift would feed, what, a thousand children for a year? But that's precisely why I wanted to come here, to stare true starvation in the face, to put not only my own problems in bitter perspective, but the whole pampered world we inhabit to show how obscene our worries are in comparison to the parents who must watch their children wither to dust before their eyes. The chasm between our world and the one I'm visiting is brought starkly home to me when, shortly after arrival, I feel tiny fingers probing my pocket. Immediately, my hand shoots there. I'm worried about my blackberry, my electronic umbilical cord to the world I normally inhabit. I look down, and a little boy, aged three, called Hassan, is looking up at me with a great big snotty grimace. He's not about to steal my phone. He's just trying to put his tiny fist in mine. I realise my fears are ridiculous. Who would he call? What would he look up on the internet? The fact the worst drought in 60 years has hit his home, and he's had to walk for 28 days without food to get here that Hillary Clinton is arguing with this Islamist military group, Al-Shabaab, who are refusing to allow aid in, to Somalia. He wouldn't understand it, even if he did steal my phone, because I don't understand it. How can it be that this morning I left my hotel in Nairobi with its all-you-can-eat buffet, and eight hours later I've arrived in somewhere that is prehistoric? If I'd seen pterodactyls flying over my head, I'd have been less bewildered. 
I find myself staring at these children's feet, not just because I'm wondering what they were, because I'm too ashamed to meet their huge eyes. I go in search of Hassan's mum. I have a crowd of children following me now. One little boy wears a football shirt as a dress with the word Fabuga across his narrow back. I wonder what he'd think if he knew how much footballers are. Little girl with tawny highlights, which in the West are the height of chic. But here, tawny highlights denote that you've got severe malnutrition. She keeps putting her hand on her hip to mimic me and giving me a toothy grin. I wonder how she could smile in such a place when her home is a makeshift teepee covered in plastic bags. When I find her, Hassan's mum, who's 14, she's called Jamila, she's sweeping her front door with twigs. She invites me with my combat trousers from Haviana and my bottle of antiseptic inside. She tells me she walked with her five children for four weeks to get here. She would bind her stomach with rope to quell the hunger pains. She didn't have the strength to carry little Hassan, so he had to walk too. Some days he just wanted to lie there and she would have to pull his matchstick on so narrow it might snap and he'd make a trail in the sand. I think of the baby in the seat in front of me on the flight from London to Nairobi with his papoose and his brightly coloured changing mat and his wet ones and a mum about to go on an eco-safari. I hatch a plan to steal Hassan and put him in the back of my 4x4 and drive him somewhere safe. But why him? when there are horror stories wherever I turn. I meet Salatho, who arrived this morning with her three children, aged seven, six and four. To save these three children, she left her three youngest children behind in her village to die. I ask how on earth she can do that, leave her little ones behind. My translator tells me she cannot answer because she's never been asked how she feels before. It turns out that human emotion is the biggest luxury of all here. The woman did what she had to do. If she allowed herself that ultimate Western accessory, depression, stress, she would just lie down in the sand and die. Then there's 50-year-old Osman, who has eight children clustered round him. His youngest, who was aged one, died on the way here. Unable to walk, the family hitched a lift. The truck was so crowded the baby suffocated. Another of Osman's son is blind in one eye, yet another one has a hair lip. That will never be mended, I think, instinctively putting a hand to my face. I've tried to reverse the signs of ageing. This boy will go through life, if he's lucky, with a gaping window showing the inside of his skull. It's a savage irony that despite the horror of their circumstance, Somalis are probably the most naturally beautiful women in the world. At the camp's reception area, I see face after face that reminds me of the supermodel Imam, who also came from here. The difference is she escaped. These women won't look like her for much longer. And the piece goes on. I could keep reading it, but it's just, it's just too heartbreaking. But, you know, a refugee is a refugee is a refugee, you know. And I remember going to the bar with all the NGOs at the end of the night. And it was really weird being in Southern Africa because all the sky's upside down and the stars are really clear. And you think, oh, the stars are really clear. Um, 
and you're in the bar and the way all the people from the UN and all the NGOs and all the charities talk about these people is just disgusting. They call them POCs. Oh, that's another POC. I said, what's a POC? It's a person of concern. And they're laughing and they're drinking. How can you be laughing and drinking? You know, it's this sort of... That's the way they cope. That's the way they cope with it. I cope with it by writing it down. They cope with it by drinking. They were all sort of trying to tidy up the camp because Angelina Jolie was coming. It's funny how you could even think of a celebrity being special when you're seeing children dying around you and babies. I saw babies dying in front of me and no-one was helping them. So celebrity suddenly doesn't matter... Wealth doesn't matter. And I got on my plane and I came back. And after I'd done that story, people would say to me, oh, I'm starving. And I think, you're not starving. I've seen people who were starving. And I've seen people who had nothing, you know. And what are we doing to help them, you know? I'm sure that camp is still there. It must change you. It must change you forever to, to go out and actually see it for yourself. It must... It just must be horrific. Yeah, I had it I had it in India as well where there were babies dying on pavements and I had it in India where there were elephants who'd been chained for 40 years. And I kind of think that my job has sort of enabled me to cope in my private life because I've had to learn to get up every day and do my work and I've had to learn to carry on. And I've had to learn to keep trying to change things. And I tried to change things by writing about the famine in Somalia. And I've tried to change things for animals. I've tried to change things for elephants. You and I have managed to send all these tons of food to the Ukraine. And I think, really, the way to cope is by trying to help others whether it's your rescue dogs or sending food to the Ukraine or campaigning. I just find a lot of the people who comment in the media at the moment and a lot of MPs and ministers and all, they aren't suffering enough to be able to care because they're so safe. Because I'm not safe. I know what it's like. Do you see what I mean? I, d I just think that we've lost all sense of perspective. I mean, we're so privileged. We're so lucky. We Just the fact that we've got a roof over our head where we've got heating, we've got water, just the, just those things, we are so incredibly privileged and yet we bitch about what we haven't got. You know, we haven't got a nice car or we haven't got this or we haven't got that. It literally, actually, we should be ashamed of ourselves. I mean, truthfully, we should. I'm not saying we shouldn't want nice things and that, but I think we've lost all sense of perspective in our lives in, in this country and, and in Western countries. I just think it's awful. But it's very easy, as John Lennon wrote, who's a hero of mine, living is easy with eyes closed, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Most of us don't think about what it's like to live in a refugee camp. No, most of us don't think about the elephants in Kerala who have changed for 40 years. Most of us don't think about it. And I think that's why the, the Ukraine has had such incredible support, because 
the social media, because of the news, because the way the world has changed about how we share information, we can't ignore it. We can't close their eyes to it. We're seeing all these images and it's making people reach out, offer places in their homes to help people, yeah. to get in their car. I mean, just normal people getting of, in their car I and driving wish, over. I kind of wish we would help all refugees. Yeah, we should, wherever we should they help come, everyone. Wherever they've come from. No, you absolutely. Know? We should we should help anybody that's vulnerable. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. have any letters from people who aren't saying how did you pay for your eyebrow transplant we do we do we have the lovely mary and mary says hi liz and nick i've been blitzing your podcast over the past few months and listening to your experiences and it's been so refreshingly honest that's one thing about us we are honest I've been catching up on the past two years of the podcast. It's truly a brilliant podcast because you're honest, which makes up for a real poignant listen and also utterly hilarious at the same time. Thank you both so much. We love Mary. We really love Mary. Animals are truly the best thing in life that life offers us. And as for the chippy people, well, let's just keep blocking them and moving on. We haven't done chippy this week, have we, Liz? (laughs) Nick, can you tell me where you post your book reviews and recommendations? I listen while driving and haven't been able to note them down over the recent months. But you've mentioned some crackers, which I'd love to track down. Thank you. And here's to you both. I don't actually, I meant to make a list at one point of everything um, that I've reviewed. And I didn't really sort of get round to it. But if you if you email me and tell me what your interests are, I'll, I'll happily give you some recommendations. But why don't you, why don't you push a list of your favourite books on the yeah, website? Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, them. OK, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll stick up my reviews, my favourite books, and um, stick them on a tweet, and they're, they're there if anyone wants to look up anything. Because we have had some real crackers. We've had some really good books. But we hope to have cheered up a bit by next week. We will have. And I'm sorry I've had such I've had such a devastating day today, I can't tell you. I think that's the thing though, isn't it? That's life. I mean, sometimes, you know, we've been doing some fun stuff on the podcast and other times life bites you on the backside, you know, it's it's not been a great week. And I think people relate to that, don't we? Like I'm going through this COVID situation, so we're doing the podcast remotely and we're adjusting with that. And I've got someone that's very worried because they've got cancer. They're worried, you know, they might have caught it. That's going to be the story for a lot of people. A lot of people have had mortgage rejections like you, Liz. And, you know, that that's what, that's what keeps us all connected, isn't it? But we've also got um, Bess, who says, Hi, ladies. We know a lot about you from the columns and the podcast, but can you each tell us one thing about you that we don't know? Go on, Liz, you go first. One thing about me that people don't know. I think they know everything about me, you know. They're... I was going to say. <laughs> one thing about me. There must be something. I don't know. Dig deep, dig deep. I've got moths. Shall I go first while you're thinking? No, I've got moths. I've got eh? moths in my wardrobe. That is true, actually. Was it the helmet Lang they started on? I've got moths. 
Is that your thing that people don't know? Yeah, you've I've got, got moths. moths. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.